All right, good evening, young adults. <laughs> awesome. Oh my goodness. Welcome to Red Rocks Young Adults. We are so glad that you guys are here. If you feel like scooching in, do. We have people trickling in and um, it's been a fun month. Man, what a great January. I hope you guys have had an awesome first month of 2018. Has it been all right? Yeah. I know. I feel the same, man. I feel the same. So this series has been a lot of fun. If you're just now joining us or if you're joining us on Facebook Live, hello, we want to say welcome. Um, we are in a series that has been about the moments that you steward before your moment or what your lightning looks like, what your energy and your talents and your um, the inside dreams that you have, what that looks like before anybody ever hears your thunder. And it has been an incredible series because every single person in here, I don't care what kind of background you came from or where you walked in from tonight, God has a good plan for you and he has a good work for you. Ephesians 2.10 says this, it says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And this is what this uh, verse is saying, is that before you were even a twinkle in your daddy's eye, before your parents even dreamed you up, before, you know, before the moment that you even stepped on the scene, God had good works that he planned just for you. And so it's a setup. It is already prepared. It is already set up for you. The only thing you need to do is look to God and be obedient. And yet on that journey of us, you know, experiencing our walk with God and finding our purpose in God, there are a variety of voices that we will encounter as we live out our calling with Jesus. And there will be voices, young adult, that will be pushing you further into that call. And there will be voices that are pushing you farther into your purposes of God. And then there will be other voices that will be pulling you away and dragging you down and pulling you further from your purpose and your obedience to God. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Nehemiah 6. Nehemiah 6. The book of Nehemiah is such an awesome book. If you've got some time, open up, read there. And we're going to start in verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, Now Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab... And the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although the gates at this time had not been put in place. And Sabala and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together at Hakapurim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should I stop the work to come down to you? And they sent me this not once, not twice, not three times, but four times in the same way. And I answered them in the same way because I'm steadfast. That's what he's saying. In the same way, Sambalat sent me the fifth time and he sent his servant with a letter in his hand. And he said, it is reported among the nations and in Geshem. And it also says that the Jews intend to rebel. And that is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you intend to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim this concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. And he's talking about the king uh, at this time in Babylon. 
And now the king will hear these reports, so come, let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such thing as you say has been done, for you are inventing them in your own mind. For they wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from their work. And I said, Lord, strengthen my hands. There are voices that you are going to hear as you live out your life and as you live out your calling and as you live out your obedience with Jesus and they are going to be talking you down. And so what I wanted to talk about tonight is living above these voices in our lives and living above opinions in our lives. And so I titled tonight the phrase from Nehemiah simply this, I can't come down. Turn to your neighbor and say, I can't come down. Some of you are like, I can't come down. Okay, you're going to have more courage by the end of this sermon. Let's uh, bow our heads and ask the Holy Spirit to be here. God, we thank you so much for every single person in here, created and fashioned. The Bible says that we are your masterpiece. We are your handiwork. God, I pray that tonight nobody leaves here feeling small, that they don't leave here feeling tiny in their work or in their effort, God, but that you would speak to them about your purposes, about your goodness over their life, that they have a mandate on their life and a beginning in their life, God, that they have a lightning, God, and that you want to use them for your glory and for your kingdom and for your great commission. We love you, Holy Spirit. Be here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We live in a world that is chock full of opinions, do we not? Amen. We live in a world that is inundated with voices and with opinions. It is the Super Bowl this weekend. How many of you are pumped? (laughs) How many of you could care less? Whoa. Whoa. I apologize to people watching online. Wow. That was intense. Okay. (laughs) All right. But right now, there are a variety of opinions surrounding this game. There are so many opinions. You can hear people talking, these, uh, you know, armchair quarterbacks or the people on, you know, sports talk radio, and they will be talking about, you know, this quarterback is more strong than this quarterback, and so the game is going to go this way, or this defense has this strategy, and so it's actually going to, you know, lean a little bit this way. And you can go on to Sports Center right now, or you can go on to ESPN right now, and you can see and witness over 30 different dudes with different opinions about how this game is going going to play out. They're even going to give you scores. But the reality is, is that only one of these opinions is actually going to play out the way that that person thought. We live in a world of opinions. Um, We live in a time and in a place where we don't read the newspaper like we used to, but our grandparents, they read the newspaper and they would read a column called the opinion column. And they would know that it's just somebody's opinion. Somebody wrote in to a magazine or to the newspaper, and they were like, well, that sounds like an all right opinion. And it was just somebody's thoughts about a piece of policy, about a candidate, about the way that society is today. But it wasn't, listen to me, it was not fact. (laughs) It was not based on credible sources or it was somebody's opinion. But we live in a time and in a generation where everything we read, if you scroll on your Twitter or you scroll on your Facebook, 90% of those articles, if you look just below the title, it will say what? Opinion. And yet we take in these things as if they were fact. 
We, we take in so many opinions on such a regular basis that there's even an acronym or an abbreviation on Twitter and people will say, well, IMO, and then they'll be like, bleh. And what they're saying is, in my opinion, bleh. We live in a world full of opinions. And when it comes to your life and when it comes to my life, listen, there are so many opinions about our world, about what we can do, about what we can't do, about who we are, about who we're not, about what our outcome is going to look like or what our life is going to look like or what it's not going to look like. There is a dense amount of opinions and voices that we hear on a daily basis and it's spoken over us without a care. And so are we going to be the type of people that surrender to the opinions of people around us or are we going to be the type of people that say, man, I don't know that I can, I don't know that I can come down to that. I have two daughters. Um, John and I have two daughters. And we have um, a younger daughter. She's one and a half. Her name's Georgia Faith. And she's like an angel wrapped in baby's clothing. You know, like she's just like, like baby fat, just surrounding an angel. Like, like she's just so sweet, you know, and she's so tender. And listen, my little girl cares so much about my opinion. Okay, so she'll be like playing with toilet paper or something, and I'll be like, okay, Georgie, don't do that. Can you not do that for mama? Don't do that. And she'll go, and she's so nervous about offending me that sometimes she cries. And I'm like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. Like, don't, no, I mean, here's the toilet paper. Like, just do what you want, you know? <laughs> and then we have an older daughter, and her name is Brooklyn Diane, and she don't care what her mama think about nothing. <laughs> and so I'll be like, Brooklyn, please don't play with the toilet paper, and she'll be like, And I'm like, that's the whole role, man. Like, I don't know what's wrong with you, right? And she doesn't care, okay? She doesn't care about what her daddy thinks. She doesn't care about what her mommy thinks. And so um, she is difficult to parent, but it's fine. Pray for us. We just need her to get saved, okay? <laughs> and, so, and so a couple weeks ago, we take her to Christie Sports, and it's just me, actually. And I take her and uh, Georgia, and I'm going to get, how many of you love snowboarding? I am, or skiing, amen? I'm going to get my Copper Mountain Pass. And so I take both the kids, and I'm like, I got this. I can do this. I'm a seasoned mother. And I walk in, and I'm like, cool, 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 cool. We're doing cool. Holding hands, holding hands. Cool, cool, cool. Two toddlers, no big deal. I'm going to stand in line for an undetermined amount of time. I'm sure this is going to work out in my favor, right? Like, like, and we're standing there, and Brooklyn's, like, looking at off to the right, and she's like, Mom, Mom, as we're standing in line, she's like, look at those, look at those dresses. And they're actually not dresses. They were, like, pink snowsuits, but I was like, you're three, it's fine. And, and we're standing in line, and she starts to kind of wiggle, and I'm like, oh, dear, and she's doing this whole thing, and I'm like, you know, if you could just stop, Brooke, just hold my hand, just hold my hand, baby, just hold my hand. And then she does this thing where she's like, oh. And I'm like, Brooklyn, just stand, just get up, just please, just God, you know? And then she knows, she knows I'm weak at this point, and she knows, like, like I have no chips because we're in a public setting. And so she looks at me, and she's like, I want to go look at those dresses. <laughs> and I'm like, look, like, I don't want a scene, and you're kind of in charge anyway, and so... <laughs> So you go ahead, girl. You go look at those dresses. And so she takes off into the snowsuits. And I'm watching her, and she's dodging in and out of them. And I'm like, that's fine. You know, she's in the coats. And she's like, mama. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then I get up to the front of the line. A couple minutes go by, and they, like, take my picture and my credit card. And I fill out the thing that says, I'm not going to sue you if I die. Right? And then, and then a guy walks up to me. I kid you not. And he goes, um, excuse me, ma'am. Ma'am, and his voice is low. And he's like, do you have another daughter? <laughs> and I'm like, No. 
And he's like, okay, I think you, yeah. And then I'm like, no, yeah, I do. And he's like, yeah, I think you need to come with me. And he's like, um, your daughter's in the middle of the store and she's completely naked. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And I roll, <laughs> I roll up, I roll up and I'm like, oh my gosh, right? And I'm like horrified. And I'm like, like no socks on, nothing, like buck naked. And I'm like, Brooklyn Diane. And she's like, I wanna try on dresses. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, putting your clothing back on. And all of these parents are standing around just like judging me, right? <laughs> Like, she doesn't use love and logic, right? And I'm just like, oh my God. And, and Brooklyn, but listen to me, listen to me. Brooklyn, as she's putting on the dresses, she's giving me daggers and she's looking at everybody that's judging us around the room and she's just like, I don't care. <laughs> like, at all. Like, the only thing she cared about was these snowsuits, these dresses. All she cared about was the goal. All she cared about was the vision. She, she could not care less what anybody in the room thought of her. And I wonder if it's like that for any of us in here tonight. Do we care what people think? Or do we just care about the mission and about our goal? Because there is a story of Nehemiah, and in the Bible, listen, this man is surrounded by voices trying to talk him down, and yet his mission remains the same. He was a captive in Babylon. We talked a few weeks ago about Zechariah. Zechariah lived about 100 years before Nehemiah and actually was the one that had the vision and the word from God about what Nehemiah was going to accomplish, if you can imagine that. And Nehemiah works for the king at the time in Babylon. His name was Artaxerxes. It's fine. I can say it. And he, um, and he worked for him as a close confidant and as a cupbearer. He was one of his council members. And a cupbearer held a special place with the king because it meant that you were so trustworthy that you would not poison the king. You could hold his cup. And this was Nehemiah's job. He had never seen Jerusalem, even though he was a Jew. He had never known what Jerusalem was like. And so one day he sends word about Jerusalem and some reports come back that it is just completely devastated and that all of the Israelites are scattered abroad, that his people are really ashamed and devastated. And he's so distraught that he goes upstairs in the castle and he begins to weep and he cries out to God and he says, God, this is terrible. Look at my people. They are so broken. And I think sometimes we look to God to give us some type of a calling and we think that God is going to split open the heavens and he's going to be like, Jesse. And we're going to be like, whoa. And he's going to be like, move to Nashville. And we're going to be like, all right. But listen, sometimes a calling doesn't come that way. Sometimes a calling is our heart breaking over a group of people or over a scenario and us crying out to God and saying, God, please do something to save these people. And he says, I am. I'm breaking your heart so that you will go and you will save these people. And he looks at Nehemiah. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And sometimes we take that to mean that David was running after God's own heart. But listen, what I take that to mean sometimes is that our hearts or that David's heart was fashioned in such a way. And that looked like and that sounded like and that David's heart broke for the same things that God's heart breaks for. Sometimes a calling looks like your heart breaking in half and you looking to God and saying, God, what are you going to do? And he says, I'm breaking your heart for these people. 
And so Nehemiah knows at this point that he needs to go. And he knows that he has a call. He knows that he has a burden and an ambition that he needs to carry out. In other words, Nehemiah is God's answer to the issue. And so he begins a good work, church, a great work according to scripture. But it is almost in the inception of this work and in the beginning of this work that he is met with obstinance and he is met with opposition almost from the get-go. The Bible says this in Nehemiah 2. It says, when Sambalot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, the official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So there are three characters that we meet that are in opposition of Nehemiah. Uh, it is Sambalot, it is Tobiah, and it is Geshem. And in the same way, there are voices, and I'll talk about three of them tonight, that come up against us. But listen, these people were offended the moment that, uh, that Nehemiah got on the scene. Because at this point, Jerusalem had fallen, and the people had been scattered, and so the uh, Horonites and the Ammonites, they kind of got to use that territory as their own. And the moment that Nehemiah steps onto the scene, they are incensed and they are frustrated and they are angry because they would stand to lose something if Nehemiah were to succeed. I hope you understand tonight that there are voices that are going to rise up in your life and they are hoping that you give up because they stand to benefit from you quitting. And so these voices rise up, and even though the territory isn't theirs, and even though the land isn't theirs, they are acting as if it is. And Nehemiah says, okay, I've come to rebuild this thing. And these voices of opposition and these instruments of opposition rise up to meet him. And so tonight, what I want to talk about is these um, instruments and how we find them in our lives, and according to Nehemiah, how we deal with them. Because for you and for me, the same thing is true. The moment that you obey God, the moment that you step into your purpose, the moment that you step into your moment, there will be voices that rise up, and not all of them are friendly. And so the first instrument of opposition we will run into is an instrument that is trying to talk you down. It is trying to talk you down. It says this in Nehemiah 4. When Sambalat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed, and he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring stones back to life as burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox can climb up it and break down those walls of stone. The first opposition church that you will meet is one that is trying to talk you down. It is a voice of ridicule, and it is a voice of limitation. When we first started Young Adults, we were in a small room of 200 people up at a campus called Golden. And um, I remember we had outgrown the room. There was about 250 students that we'd cram into this one place. And we had outgrown the room, and our staff prayed about it, and I prayed about it. And, I, and we spent kind of a winter asking God what we should do. And we had a new campus at Littleton that sat about 700 people. And so we made a decision to move to Littleton. And I remember being like, okay, God, you and me, it's time to move, right? And I got up in front of 250 people and I kind of gave them the vision of what we were going to do and how we were hoping to grow God's kingdom and how it was going to go. And I was expecting people to be like, yeah, like 
build God's kingdom. Like, that's what I was expecting, right? And, but that's not what happened. It was like dead silent. And I like looked around the room like, oh God, you know? And then there was like a boo, like in the back corner. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> oh no, you know? It was one of those moments where I was like, oh gosh, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I think I heard you, but did I hear you? And I get down off of the stage and immediately um, a young adult that I loved and that I trusted came up to me and, and they met well, but they were like, hey Jess, great idea, good sermon, but uh, man, you really think this ministry is attractive enough that students would drive another 20 minutes? And I was like, oh man, I actually don't know, <laughs> you know? It was one of those moments where Maybe they were good-intentioned or they were good-hearted, but they began to talk us down. And I think that for you, you probably have experienced the same. Maybe not somebody speaking directly to you, maybe somebody talking about someone in your inner circle, but they will say stuff like this. Do you really think that he has the money to go and do something like that? You think he really has the talent to go and do something? You think they're ready for something like that? I don't know if they're ready, man. I don't know if they're ready. And what they are trying to do in this moment is to talk you down. Look at those feeble Jews. Can they rebuild the city? That's what they say. Can these stones be brought back to life? Nehemiah, you've been a cupbearer your whole life. You think you can be a stonemason? Nehemiah, look at you. I don't think you have the skills to do this. Nehemiah, you don't have the materials that you need to work with. And what is happening in this moment is that they're trying to get our eyes off of, when this voice comes in, it is trying to get our eyes off of the call of God and the mission of God and look down upon our capability of carrying it out. Are you capable of actually doing any of this? And it's talking you down. And I would be aware of the people in your world that are speaking in your life right now, young adult. I would be aware of the people that are saying, well, do you have enough theology to do what you're doing? Do you have the smarts to do what you're doing? Do you think you're ready enough? Do you think you're um, responsible enough? I'm not really sure if this is an idea or a thing that you should be pursuing. I would be aware of wisdom or people that are trying to offer wisdom in your life. And maybe, it's, maybe it is wisdom or maybe it's just someone trying to talk you down, masquerading as wisdom. The Bible says this in James 3. It says, but wisdom that comes from the heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, then considerate, then submissive. It is full of mercy. It is good fruit. It is impartial, and it is sincere. Listen, there is a stark difference between a spirit-led man giving you a piece of wisdom and a human being trying to limit the possibility of God on your life. There is a stark difference between that, and if it is not considerate, if the voice in your life is not considerate, as James 3 says, then it is possibly condescension. And so what voice are you listening to tonight? Because we need to respond to the voices, to the instruments of opposition. And if we're going to respond to the ones that are talking we, us down, then we need to respond with what we know. And the only thing we know is Christ. And so people will say, well, Jess, man, you really think you're like, people are actually going to move with you? You think it's attractive enough? And I'm like, no, not attractive enough at all. The ministry is not but Jesus is really attractive. <laughs> and people are gonna be like, oh, are you talented enough? Are you wise enough? Do you have what it takes to, no, 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 not at all. But I do have the Holy Spirit and I do have Jesus and, and he's enough. And people are gonna say, well, do you, oh, man, I don't know, do you have the smarts? And you say, no, but I have the mind of Christ. People will say, well, do you have the strength? Well, no, 
but I have the same strength that raised Jesus from the dead. I don't have what it takes. See, the devil wants you to look at what you have, and God wants you to look at what he has. And so if we are going to defeat this type of voice in our life, then we have to continually look to our God and say, I know I don't got it. I know I'm not enough, but you are. And so I step and I go anyway. We need to respond to the voices and to the instruments of opposition that are talking us down. The second voice that we will encounter is a voice that will talk you scared. It will talk you scared. Nehemiah 6 says this, Now when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of the enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although at this time I had not set the doors on the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakapuram in the plain of Ono. And they intended to harm me. If the instruments of opposition can't get you to be talked down, if they can't ridicule you, then they will get you to be afraid. And the way that they will do this is by saying, what if? What if? I mean, what if it actually fails? What if you step out and there's no money? What if you obey God and you put your family in danger? What if you obey God and everybody leaves you? What if? And sometimes you hear you know, talk about faith and we hear sermons about faith and we hear that the opposite of faith is unbelief or that the opposite of faith is doubt. But listen to me, that's not true. The opposite of faith is this thing called fear because the goal of fear and the goal of fearful voices in your life is to get you to take your faith to a grandiose level and to bring it down to a level like theirs. It is to minimize your faith. It is to limit your faith. It is to make you think that God's not actually capable of much at all in your life. What kind of voices are you listening to tonight? And listen, sometimes this voice comes from within and we're afraid, but sometimes this voice comes from without. And sometimes it comes from the closest places around us, maybe close enough to the very work that we are doing. And they say that dream is too big, it's too large, it's too outrageous. What if God doesn't come through? I remember when we had moved, and uh, man, that very first Sunday, we moved to Littleton. We packed up all of our stuff, and we had a series, and it was like ready to go. And we showed up that night, and there was about 100 people less than we normally had. And, I, you know, again, preach a sermon, get down, and I'm like, okay, you know, and I'm talking with a few friends, and immediately, man, the, the voices of fear, like, maybe we weren't ready for this, dude. Maybe, like, we weren't meant to do this. Maybe this wasn't our, maybe this isn't us, you know, maybe we're not. And I went back to the back room because I had spent time in prayer and because I had listened to God and I had tried to hear him. And I said, God, I'm pretty sure I heard you. And so here's the deal. I told you I was going to step out in faith. And so I am going to stay out here on this ledge until I see the fruition of my faith. Church, I wonder tonight if you are feeling afraid and God's like, look, I just need you to wait a little bit longer. Look, I just need you to stay out on the ledge a little bit longer and trust me and have faith in me. You know that um, at the exile or at the exodus out of Egypt, that it was a miraculous movement and that God gave the people a promise of something new and something grand. But listen, the moment they left, the very first emotion they felt after being freed from bondage was what? Fear. And you know what they said? They said, maybe we should go back. 
to what we did before. Tonight is a voice speaking to you so loudly and so profoundly that you are actually thinking that you need to return to an old way or you need to return to an old life. Maybe you are in here tonight and you gave your life to Jesus a few months ago, but he isn't moving a whole lot yet. And God's just looking at you and he's saying, I know you're scared, but don't be afraid. Have faith and don't look back. Don't you dare look back. If the voice of fear is coming from your family members or from your friends, maybe you need to get some new friends. If the voice of fear is coming from a coworker, maybe you just need to ignore them. If the voice of fear is trying to stop you from the obedience that God has asked you to put in your life, maybe it's time that you put that voice behind you. I was reading a scripture this morning and it says put behind you and that word is aggressive. And do you know what it says? It says there is no, it's like, it's like Yoda. It's like there is no try. There's no try when it comes to this sin. There is no try when it comes to this voice. You must put this voice. There is no try. You must do or do not. There's no in between. And so for a whole bunch of us in here, we need to put the voice of fear behind us and leave it where it is. There's a voice trying to talk you down. There's a voice trying to talk you afraid. And there's a voice trying to talk you accused. It says this, it is reported among the nations, this is in Nehemiah 6, and Geshem also says it, and you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that's why you're building the wall, Nehemiah, and according to these reports, you hope to become their king. Listen, if the voice of ridicule doesn't work or the voice of fear, there will be a third instrument that will rise up, and it will be the voice of accusation. And they're looking at Nehemiah, and they're like, why do you want to rebuild this wall anyway? Is it so you can be king? And listen, it is one thing to have people question the work that you are doing for God and be like, what are, you, what are you doing? It is quite another for people to question why you are doing what you're doing for God. And they'll be like, oh, you're only going on that mission so you can travel the world. I know. I get you. Or they'll be like, oh, I know that the only reason you're telling that girl, the only reason you're telling that girl about Jesus is because you think she's attractive. The only reason you're taking that job is for the money. And if they can't talk you into a place of submitting to their fear or submitting to their doubts, maybe they can talk you into a place where you actually question your very core. And I think we think that if we are to step out for God, church, I think we think that our motives need to be perfect. I think we think that our motives need to be right on point. But listen to me, I don't believe that any character that we ever read about in scripture stepped out and had perfect motives. I mean, that would be like, that would be like the way that I parent Brooklyn, right? Because I know that Brooklyn loves dresses and I know that she loves television. And so when she obeys me and I'm like, Brooklyn, pick up your blocks. When she obeys me, I think 65% of that is she wants to obey me. But I think 35% of that is she wants television and she wants her dresses. And what kind of parent would I be if I looked at her and I'll be like, all of your block picking it, and all of your cleaning, it meant nothing because you only wanted a dress. <laughs> like I would be a terrible mom. And God looks at us and he's like, look, I'm not looking for you to have perfect hearts and perfect intentions when you step out into your calling. I'm looking for you to just obey me and I will sanctify you as you go. He's not looking for the perfect heart. There is no perfect heart. You look at David, there's not a perfect heart. You look at maybe Elijah, that's not a perfect heart. 
You looked at anybody in the Bible and they step out as a checkered person and God fashions them as they go. Maybe your problem isn't necessarily your motives. And if it is, if people come up in your world and they begin to accuse you and they begin to speak um, about your motives or about your heart intentions, you know, maybe you should just be honest with them. And they'll say, well, I know the only reason that you have that big, big dream for God is because you want, you know, you want like joy and stuff. And you're going to be like, dude, you are right, man. I mean, the whole reason that I'm following after Jesus is because I know if I obey him, I live the most free life. I live the most gifted life. I live the most fruit-filled life and the most ambitious life. I know that when I step into his calling, there is nothing that I can't achieve and that I can't receive if I just listen to him. And so you're right, man. I got some weird motives when it comes to that. And if that's not enough for you, then maybe you pray the prayer of David. And do not let another human being be the one that tells you about your heart. Listen, nobody knows your heart except for God. And so you pray the prayer of David where it says, search me, oh God. And you get with him and you say, search me. And he will. Test my anxious ways. And if there is any wayward way within me, he is so gentle. He is so kind. He is so capable that he will actually, as you obey him, he will lead you in the path everlasting. Listen, if you are waiting to step out until you have a perfect heart, you're just waiting because it's never going to happen. God's not looking for you to be perfect. He is looking for a human being that is willing to follow him. Don't let the voices talk you afraid, church. Don't let the voices talk you accused. And listen, these voices are so loud. They are so loud in our world, these instruments of opposition. And God says to us, he says, I know that you are going to meet these people. And so he is going to send some other voices. And this is the good news. When you step out into your calling, when you step out into obedience, when you step into purposes of God, the good works that he has prepared for you in advance, God says, I will be sending you some other voices and they will lift you closer to your call and not away. When Nehemiah, the moment he stepped out, he went and he spoke with King Artaxerxes. And he says, King, this is not the king of Israel. This is the king of Babylon. And he says, King, I have a plan and I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I, I feel this burden for my people. And I need to go rebuild the walls. I need to go rebuild the city. And then I need to bring my people home. And King Artaxerxes says, sweet. He says, I'm going to give you as much paid time off as you want. Which is like, what? And then he's like, and I'm going to give you lumber, dude. How much lumber you want? You want all my lumber? You want my masons? You can take my masons. You want my, my stones? You can, take all, you can take all of it. All the tools? You just take all of it. He's like, here you go. And the Bible says this. It says that Artaxerxes was well pleased to aid him and to help him. And when it comes to my life and our lives, the moment that we step out, there will be people that will be well pleased to come to your aid. And they will give you encouragement and they will give you equipping and they will give you what, they, what you need. Everybody needs a Jonathan. Everybody needs an Aaron. And God knows this. And so the moment you step out, God sends somebody. But listen, it's the moment you step out and it's not a moment before. And so if you're like, where's my Jonathan? Well, you haven't obeyed God yet. Where's my Aaron? Oh, you got to actually go first and then he's going to come. And God doesn't just send a person. He doesn't just send an encouragement. But listen, God sends an army. This is the God that we serve. 
Because he knows that these voices are trying to tear you down. And so in Nehemiah's life, he didn't just send one man, but he sent an entire brigade of people. And in uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, Nehemiah lists off all of the people that came to build the wall with him. And he said there's these set of priests, and normally they're just praying prayers, but they were building the wall, the west wall. And he said the north wall, it was built by this set of men. And the gates, they were built by this set of men. And then this set of men guarded all of the wives and all of the children while we built so that we wouldn't be attacked. It was a team effort. And here's what's crazy about the calling of God on our lives and about the gifting of God in your life is that there is an entire group of people that aren't mobilized until the moment that you step out. There's an entire group of people that can't find their purpose in God until you step out in yours, and that's the truth. And so God is like, are you going to step or not? Because I'll send the right people at just the right time. I will send you the Jonathans. I will send you the voices that you need. And then God promises this. He says, I will send you myself. I will send you myself. John 14 says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you who? A helper. And he will be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you All things, everybody say all things. And bring to your remembrance all that you need. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. God promises that he will send us a helper. God says, I know the type of opposition that you're stepping into. And so I'm going to send you the help that you need. I'm going to send you my very self. When I first started in uh, ministry, and I'm sorry if I talk about it a lot, but it's our story. (laughs) So it's our testimony, and it's how we overcome the devil. And so we started in ministry, and I would get emails all the time about being a female in leadership at a church. And I don't talk about it much because I don't care. Like, honestly, I'm not here to change your opinion, if you're wondering. I'm actually not. I'm just here to be faithful to my call. And so... (laughs) It's true. And so we started our ministry, and um, we had our very first retreat. And we drive up the mountain, and we spend all day setting up. And I preached that night, and it was a wonderful start. We had like 60 people, and it was just beautiful. I mean, that very first retreat, young adults, was like gold. It was like the Holy Spirit was there, and there was so much movement and so much community. It was just one of the best weekends of my life. And I got down off of this stage, and there was another retreat of uh, it was a uh, another retreat that was up there. And there was one man that came over, and um, he said, "Ma'am, I think I have a word for you." And I said, "Well, Amen. I love words. Let's go." And so I'm like, "All right, give it to me. What is it?" And he said, "I just feel like God wants you to know that you don't need to be on a stage." And I feel like God wants you to know that you are a strong mother and that you can be in your home and you can be a mom and that he will be with you. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You don't have to boo. It's all right. I think you had good intentions. And I went to the back and I sat down and I just bawled my eyes out. (laughs) So I was so vulnerable and so like new, you know. And I was just like, God, is this what people think? And, and God, I don't, I'm not here to offend you. I'm not here to offend your people. 
I'm here to serve you. That's the only reason I'm doing this. What's this about? What's this voice about? What's this word about, God? And my husband came over, and he sat next to me. And then my friend Jerrica came over, and she sat next to me. And they just prayed with me because they didn't know what was up. And then I ended up sharing with John kind of what had transpired and what had been said. And I love my husband. He's a man of few words. And he looked at me and he said, well, is that what God said to you? And I said, well, no. Because years prior to this moment, I'd been sitting in a chapel and God said, I'm sending you and I'm preparing you. And he said specifically, he said, you're going to shepherd sheep. And you're going to teach. And I need you to, this is the words he used. He goes, I need you to build me an army. So John said, is that what God said to you? And I said, well, no. And he said, well, then what voice are you listening to, Jess? And I wonder tonight, so many people in this room with so many stories, so many people watching online with so many stories, and if the voices that have managed your life have not been voices from God. Listen, there are opinions and they will not stop and they will only get louder as the coming of age. They will only get stronger until Jesus comes. But he says, listen, my voice will be crystalline. And he says, my sheep, they hear me and they know my voice and they will follow me. And then he says this, a stranger they will not follow after. You know his voice, church. You know his voice. You know his word. You know what he says to you. You know when he says go. And so tonight, what kind of voice are you listening to? What kind of words are you listening to? The Bible says this about God's voice and and God's character. It says he is omniscient. And omniscient means this. He is all-knowing. He knows the beginning from the end. Listen, he is the only one when it comes to the Super Bowl that is going to be like, this is my opinion. And it will be right. He is the only one that looks at your life and he says, this is my opinion, and he will be right. He is the only one that looks at your future and he says, this is what it's like, and he will be right. And everything else is fake news. I was listening to Steve Furtick and he said this about opinions in our life and about voices in our life. He says, the voice that you believe will determine how you experience your reality. And I think that we would say it this way, that the voice that you believe, listen, it determines your destiny. And in 1 Kings, in 1 Kings, God is talking to his people and Elijah is talking to his people. And he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long? There's some people in this room and you've been listening to your dad who just talks down to you. And you want to listen now to your father. There is people in your life and they've only spoken marred words over you. And how long are you going to waver between two opinions? How long are you going to listen to those words? How long are you going to sit under submission of those words? Or are you going to listen instead to the words of your father? He says, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? And then he says this, if God is Lord and our Lord is Lord, he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If the Lord is Lord, then follow him. And if not, follow any opinion you want. 